Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. Hope everyone is doing well on this week off we've had from basketball. Somehow the Lakers are back in the middle of the story, and they're just dominating the the airwaves right now. Somehow in the middle of the finals, even though they didn't even make the playoffs, they're there. But we're not going to talk about that mess. And yes, I say we because I got a brand new guest for the first time on this podcast Lior Kozai, writer for Def Pen and Raptors Rapture, recently wrote an excellent piece called uh, Toronto Raptors and the Benefit of Caring, which was awesome. Quoted one of my guys, Bill Simmons, in it, which was a really interesting column that I loved from Bill Simmons as well. Uh, so first, Lior, how you doing, man? Your Raptors are in the finals. They did it. <laughs> I'm doing pretty damn well. Good, good, good. Um, so... Let's just kind of jump into it uh, because Toronto, and I said this on my podcast uh, when I was talking about the when I was talking about the Bucks and the and the Raptors preview, is that I picked Milwaukee. I picked I I picked Milwaukee. I picked them in five. I thought that they were going to win the series and they were going to win pretty easily. Then after Game Three, I projected that they were going to win out the rest of the series, and boy was I wrong on that take. <laughs> but uh, so I I just haven't had a good feel for Toronto this year. I've watched their games and I I know they're a great team, but to me it's just always been the bench slash supporting cast has been up and down, especially within this playoffs. I mean, you talk about Orlando. I was obviously never even worried after after day one, even after that that shocking loss to the Magic in game one. I was never really worried. Um, and then you get to Philly. And after game one, I'm like, wow, Toronto's going to blow them out of the water in five games. And then it goes all the way to seven. And each game, you see the bench and supporting cast just dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until it's eventually Kawhi Leonard at the very end just carrying them and, you know, hitting one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen in my life. And so then, then we go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, they look strong to start. Milwaukee takes game one and then, and then takes game two. And then all of a sudden, I'm thinking, man, they, they have no supporting cast, which is why I picked Milwaukee to win that series easily, because I thought that the supporting cast of Ka- around Kawhi Leonard was falling apart. So to me, it's been up and down and flaky. Can you kind of break down what's what's happened in this playoffs? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been up and down. Even people who are around the team all the time have kind of had a hard time reading them and just from the regular season all the way until now, it's a little bit hard to get a feel for them, partly because um, they just had a lot of like minor injuries, players in and out of the lineup. Obviously, with the load management with Kawhi, right. um, he missed uh, 22 games. Then there's, I think, Kyle Lowry missed 17 games. Um, and then they made the big deadline move for Marcus Gasol, and that took three rotation players out and replaced them with another big rotation player and then they still had trouble i always thought gasol would have made more sense as the starter and and he eventually did end up winning that role but it took them a little while to get there so they had i think over 20 starting lineups this year or something around that 
and they just were always um, in flux and a little bit out of sorts, uh, just in terms of moving lineups around. And they still managed to win a lot because of the talent and kind of the chemistry from the guys from last year. But they did kind of have an up and down regular season despite winning 58 games. Um, and then in the playoffs, yeah, like you said, the bench has been definitely inconsistent, especially um, Fred Van Vliet obviously had one of the biggest shooting slumps of his career for pretty much 15 games and then suddenly came out firing away after the birth of his son after game four and then these last three games um game four five and six he was just phenomenal so um yeah they're they've been up and down but i think they've kind of established in these playoffs that the team's biggest strength is defensively they've got a long a lot of long um big defenders at every position kind of kyle lowry even though he's a little undersized is really strong, doesn't really give up ground, and they can just switch a lot of screens. They have elite post defense with Marcus Sola, which may not play much of a factor in the finals, but it's been huge for them in other rounds. And then they kind of have just these elite wing defenders to handle the type of guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo and um, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler in past rounds. And then obviously, if Kevin Durant comes back and Clay Thompson, there are a lot of uh, strong wings on the Warriors. Yeah, let's get into the matchups of this series because that, I think, is one of the most fascinating things. So one of the interesting things is, and I don't actually, I don't have the numbers, like, offhand, but uh, obviously there was a shift after after game two where Kawhi spent much more time on Giannis. Now, granted, it was a, very, it was a system built. It was a quote-unquote wall. It was the reference they kept using, but that was the kind of system they built to to take down uh, to take down Giannis but Kawhi guarded him and I don't I I can't know off the top of my head how many minutes roughly he guarded him and was the primary defender on him but that obviously was a big topic because Kawhi is carrying so much on the offensive and how does he how does he uh how is he able to guard somebody like Giannis on the defensive end and continue to manage the offensive load in this series um the question to me is who do, who does Kawhi guard and for how long? Like I imagine, don't you think that they would they would kind of rest Kawhi for stretches on of the game on on Iggy, on Iggy or Alonzo or whoever that that extra wing is out there like Sean Livingston maybe um, and try to rest him on there and then down the stretches of games guard you know maybe Curry or Clay or or Draymond. Uh, what do you what do you think really is going to be Kawhi's defensive assignment in this series? Yeah, definitely. I'd expect them to um, give him some like rest or at least like let him operate as more of an off ball help defender. Um, he's great in the passing lanes, great at just getting his hands in there and um, stripping the ball out of um, when guys are on the drive and just um, just being a presence there because he kind of has that impact and players know when he's around either the shot block or the strip or whatever. They have to be wary of it. Um so they may hide him on Iguodala to start or um, secondary, as kind of a secondary thing, I would expect um, him to be on Draymond a lot just because Draymond, obviously, you kind of want him to shoot. Yeah, his percentages, his three-point percentage kind of goes up and down, but I think they'll probably, if you're picking your poison, you'll probably live with Draymond shooting a lot of threes. So if Kawhi can kind of help off him, and then obviously the Warriors' biggest offensive weapon, at least until Durant comes back, is going to be the Steph Draymond pick and roll. And if you have Kawhi on Draymond, then that kind of blows it up or at least makes it a lot less effective for the Warriors just because Kawhi can switch onto Curry or he can just hedge really well and get back to Draymond. And he really is such an elite defender that it kind of neutralizes that a lot or at least forces the Warriors to pick a different screener who's kind of less dangerous uh, rolling off of Curry's passes. Yeah, you brought up a very interesting thing about the Draymond Curry pick and roll. I want to get to that a little bit later, but um, let's get to some of the other just kind of basic uh, basic matchups. So I imagine with the backcourt, it'll be Lowry to start on Clay and Green to start on, uh, on Curry, right? Um, yeah, like I expect that, but... I wouldn't be shocked to see Lowry on Curry, but probably lean towards Green. It's just 
kind of depending on what they um what they see or what they feel um but yeah i mean i've heard talk from the beat reporters that they might do um they might just play it straight up to start with curry uh with lowry on curry and then if he's kind of struggling or getting tired then they'll um do it but either way i could see that happening yeah that's why that's exactly why i would assume lowry starts on clay just for the energy factor i mean both Mm -hmm. clay and curry move a lot obviously but curry is more so uh more so involved as far as like the as far as the movement goes and that's been a big thing over this last year and a half right with lowry is is kind of they've really kind of tapered down his uh his workload on defense for the last couple years now so that's why I would assume Lowry star yeah. and Clay, but yeah, to me it it really doesn't with Lowry and Green both being good defenders and Clay and Curry both being great offensive players. To me, it, I can see it kind of being a, just a, a go with the flow. Yeah, and also Lowry's pretty good at um, chasing those kind of shooters. He doesn't have the length, obviously, but just getting around screens. Um, he guarded Terrence Ross for like long stretches in the first round, and Evan Fournier. And then in the second round, um, he was on J.J. Redick a lot, so obviously he's used to guarding mm-hmm. these um, these shooters coming off a lot of screens off the ball. So I could see him guarding Clay and kind of squeezing around the screens, trying to make it difficult for him to catch with um, space to shoot. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, the last thing I wanted to bring up uh, with matches before we get into some more tactical stuff was with Pascal Siakam. So... I imagine he's going to obviously start with Draymond and get the majority of his minutes with Draymond. Um, do you think this is the this is the best move to have him on Draymond, a guy who's a who's a very smart player who can who can maybe get him in foul trouble, work him extensively? Uh, do you think that this is the best matchup for Pascal to start, assuming the starting lineups are the starting lineups? Um. Yeah. Probably. I could see, like, again, they switch a lot, right? And they're just kind of these similar size defenders um, and pretty comfortable guarding, like, offensive players of different sizes. But, like, that might be his primary matchup. And then just with the screens and with all the Warriors off-ball movement, I could see them doing a lot of of switching. But I'd honestly say, like, in the regular season, Siakam was probably their best defender just because Kawhi wasn't really going all out. And... um, and he didn't need to, and he was kind of saving himself a bit, and uh, Siakam was just such an impactful defender. So um, even though he didn't make the all-defense team, um, but he, yeah, like, I could see him on Draymond, but, like, I could see him on Clay for stretches um, mm-hmm. just because Siakam is really fast. It gives a lot of length to contest shots. And then some people have even suggested Curry, uh, which might be... A little too much of a task for him but he did do a great job on John Wall in the playoffs last year and um and he just guarded Eric Bledsoe for most possessions uh towards the end of that last series so I could see him guarding him just because he does keep up with the quick point guards a lot but obviously Curry is a different type of player than those guys mm-hmm. just in the sense that his shooting is so elite that you can't really compare it to Bledsoe obviously where you're sagging off and the chasing Curry around might be too much for Siakam. So, like you said, long story short, kind of um, Draymond might be the best matchup to start, at least. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I'll be interested to see how he guards somebody like Clay, uh, Clay and Curry, especially Curry, because Curry is somebody who really just makes you, if you're a traditional big, and I know Pascal's a bit, very modernized big, but still, if you're if you're used to guarding big men, 97 to you know anywhere from like 97 to like 75 percent of of a game you know all of a sudden guarding a guy from 30 feet out 30 plus feet out is a very just uncomfortable thing so it can even just be more of an uncomfortable thing uh but you brought up something great that i want to transition into the tactical side of it that i think is super super important and i think is one of the strong ace in the hole advantages that toronto has over mostly any other team in the league when going against golden state and that is this curry draymond pick and roll with kevin durant out has just lit has just lit them on fire and uh and i i talked about that in the last podcast the effects of of not having kd what it does with that with that pick and roll is it basically um it basically for uh, gives 
defenders a comfortability to blitz Draymond or or blitz Curry, I mean, on the pick and roll, allowing Draymond yeah. to create those scenarios where you see those lobs to Iguodala. But when they have Kevin Durant, they obviously know Kevin Durant's a great shooter, so they're not as willing to risk leaving leaving him. And uh, essentially, so essentially, it's kind of unlocked a, a new level of the Warriors' offense, or kind of uh, redefined it. So the 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 big issue with this is Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam um, guarding Draymond and Curry. Now, I assumed that it would be Kawhi on Curry and and Pascal on Draymond, but you brought up an interesting point with putting Kawhi on uh, on Draymond because of his inability to shoot, and Kawhi is uh, Kawhi just allowing Draymond to take away that those initial dribbles and everything that he does so well is something that um, something that's very interesting. I would assume that Kawhi would be on Curry and they put Pascal on Draymond to get that switch because, like you talked about is Pascal is is a guy who's pretty good at guarding at, at guarding shifty point guards. So, I don't know, I think that's a very very important matchup. Yeah, and I mean just they might go like Kawhi guards Curry in the fourth, but you don't want him to exert all that effort like for 48 minutes. Right. Um or like if Clay gets hot, like they can always just the Kawhi on him and just try to shut him down that way and force it to be someone else to beat them. And then, um, and yeah, they feel pretty good about pretty much anyone out of at least the starters, and then probably like Norman Powell and um, Sergi Baca sometimes. Just besides Gasol, they feel pretty comfortable switching a lot of it one through five. Like even if Lowry is on Curry, and then either Siakam or Kawhi or whoever is on Draymond, like they feel pretty comfortable switching that because they feel good about Kawhi and Siakam stepping out on those shifty guards. And then Lowry is just really stout in the post. And I think the stats, um, I think it was Aaron Gordon posted up Lowry like 13 possessions or something and was like two for 13 in that series. And just big men try to post up Lowry all the time. And Raptors fans kind of laugh about it um, on Twitter and everything just because Lowry's post defense has been so like terrific for such a tiny guy all season and he's great at drawing charges just being really physical they kind of let little guys get away with a little more physicality so if they switch Lowry onto Draymond and and he tries to post up Lowry like the Raptors will take it any day instead of um, a Steph isolation or something like that so they feel I mean I could see them going with any of these matchups and just depending on who has it offensively like what kind of options the Raptors are rolling out for crunch time, especially um, they could go with a lot of different options. And that's kind of the strength of their defense that they have so much versatility and they have so many options and so many different bodies to throw at a guy like Curry and a guy like clay. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you brought up something that is also one of my biggest keys that I'm looking for in this series is how often does Mark play? Because mm-hmm. Mark is uh, obviously obviously was super successful in the last series against Milwaukee, but is uh, but is somebody who in the series before against Embiid he wasn't he, he wasn't as successful throughout the series. But in totality, the the Raptors would not have gotten past that series without Marcus. So he's he's the guy who could physically guard Embiid. Um, so obviously this is a different matchup, right? And so this kind of plays into plays into my thoughts is that is that Golden State's obviously going to attack Marcus Gasol. They're going to try to attack him every time he's in. So to me, the real question is how long is Marcus Gasol's leash, and do they should Toronto just quickly pull him and go to small ball, or should they kind of try to play Marcus Gasol and Ibaka stuff? Because we've seen the one year the Warriors lost in this dynasty era was the year where Cleveland just said, you know what, we're going to have Tristan Thompson get 80 million offensive rebounds and Kevin Love get another 80 million offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. Now, Toronto is not as great of an offensive rebounding team. Uh, they've been poor in the regular season, and then they, they've been solid in the playoffs, especially defensively. But the Warriors have been great on the offensive glass. That's another huge advantage to me. But I'm just wondering do, how much Marcus Gasol plays and – how quickly uh, they should go small ball. Should should Toronto beat Golden State to small ball or play their bigs more? 
Yeah, it's definitely a great point, especially bringing up the um, the Cavs, how the Cavs beat Golden State. Um, yeah, I don't really think the Raptors have that blueprint just because their bigs are not great offensive rebounds. Like they've had games right. where they um, really got on the glass, like game four against um, Milwaukee. Like Serge Ibaka had, I think, four offensive rebounds just by himself and almost out rebounded Milwaukee by himself on that end. And, um, and just they were really attacking the glass and they have like stretches where they'll dominate inside but really for the most part um they haven't been a great rebounding team it was one of their biggest weaknesses this year and um i do think though in general um people will be surprised by how much gasol plays i think people are expecting him to get kind of run off the floor and i think the raptors will find ways around that just obviously they're going to try to get him switched onto the guards especially curry and try to just attack him in isolation. And if the Raptors keep switching that, then that will be a problem for them. And then Gasol won't be able to play. But I think they'll find ways. Like sometimes um, Gasol will be stashed. Like he definitely won't be guarding Draymond Green, but he might be guarding if the Warriors go small, then he might end up on Iguodala. And the Warriors will use Iguodala as a screener to get Gasol switched. And sometimes when the screener comes up you can kind of um the raptors are really good at this where they kind of communicate while the screener is coming up they switch it before the screener gets there so they switch off the ball and then you get like siakam or Kawhi onto iguodala and then if iguodala is the screener then they can switch onto curry or they can just find a way to guard that with two guards instead of having gasol end up in this pick and roll where he's a little bit slow footed and that's kind of his biggest weakness as a defender because he just doesn't have the foot speed to keep up with guards like that. So I think he'll have to be more effective on offense than he was at times in the Milwaukee series and against Philadelphia. He'll definitely need to um, look for his offense, Marcus Ola and Ibaka also when he's on the floor. But I think both of them can kind of um, can kind of do enough to find ways to stay on the floor and they'll be more effective than a guy like Ennis Cantor or whoever else is getting run off the floor. Like Capella had a really tough series against Golden State. So, um, so definitely I would expect them to go small for stretches and I love the look with Siakam at center. I was kind of surprised they didn't go to it against Milwaukee, especially with Giannis playing some center. But, um, but I do think, the big man can hang and they're not going to play together Gasol and Ibaka, but they are going to play at least one of them for, I would expect like over 40 minutes between the two of them per game. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, I think that coming into it, I was like, okay, this is obviously going to be something that's very important and very defining in Toronto's uh, success in this series is, is their, their bigs. That's always going to be a big factor with Golden State and how they like to play is, how well can your bigs match up with Golden State? And I I agree with you. I think the answer is you 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 give Mark a long leash. You play him. He has to be effective though. He definitely has to be effective on offense. Um, and he is a and he is a great uh, he is a great overall defender because he he knows positions very well. He's smart. He's like you said. His only flaw is really is is his footing. Uh, on defense and that he's not quick enough to keep up with Steph Curry who guard most guards can't even keep up with so he's not by any means a a a terrible defender he's still a he's still a good presence at the rim obviously um a high IQ player so yeah I believe yeah yes post defense as well so I believe that Marcus is crucial in this series, and I and I believe that Toronto, while they will go uh, small for stretches, I don't think they should be in a rush to to play Golden State that way because that's the way Golden State loves to play. Um, the last thing I wanted to bring up is that the rebounding overall. So like I said, Toronto has been great; they're a top five rebounding team in the playoffs, um, but they're but. Uh, Re- offensive rebounding wise they are they have struggled the warriors have been great on both ends of the uh, both ends of the glass particularly the offensive end where where they are uh they are in the upper half of the playoffs as far as as far as offensive rebounds they absolutely crushed the rockets in that series with with offensive rebounds so that be that being said uh i believe that it's it's very crucial for toronto to have 
a great rebounding series and to do that they have to they have to play their bigs right yeah i mean yeah it will be tough kind of because they don't love um they don't love like like throwing a lot of guys to the glass just because they're worried a lot about transition like the last two teams they played um just looking at philly and milwaukee you're looking at two teams that thrive in transition especially with ben simmons Giannis pushing the ball and then golden state kind of thrives but in the opposite way instead of getting to the rim with those big like long slashing guys they have um curry and thompson and they get all the threes in transition so i think they'll be a little reluctant to go too far into the offensive glass but i think they'll kind of play it by ear and kind of see if um if gasol can get to the glass if ibaka can get to the glass um either for games or for stretches in games then they'll definitely try to exploit that advantage and Kawhi was fantastic on the glass especially in um in game six against Milwaukee we just saw it where he just he got 17 rebounds and he was just a force and you can kind of like at least try to exploit that and then if you're getting burned in transition and if you really if it's just not working out if they're not able to get those rebounds then you can always just send all five back or send four guys back and then try to protect um transition the other way so yeah it's it's kind of about finding that balance right yeah definitely definitely about finding the balance that's going to be the key with toronto um overall is there is there as far as like closing words is there one other thing anything else that you you see as particularly important in this series from a toronto raptors perspective um yeah definitely just not hesitating to shoot they had a lot of those difficulties against philadelphia and kind of in the first two games against milwaukee um where their shooters were just reluctant whether it was like gasol and ibaka as the bigs or just any of the kind of role-playing guards danny green van vliet and powell and they were just a bit reluctant to shoot especially against the length of philly the length of milwaukee and golden state's a team with a lot of long defenders as well you have Clay Thompson, Draymond, Iguodala. Um, Livingston hasn't played a ton in these playoffs, but he's still, if he's on the floor, he's a pretty long, better defender. So you just, they kind of need to just fire away. I think Golden State's going to sell out a ton on Kawhi. They're going to put a ton of pressure on him and throw a lot of help at him. And they're going to make the role players and the shooters beat them. And if those guys are just, not hesitant and they're just shooting their threes van vliet and powell especially got hot last series but danny green was has been struggling all playoffs long if those guys can start hitting shots and not being afraid to shoot them then it could be a different series because i do expect the raptors defense to do decently well obviously golden state's going to get theirs just because they're such an incredible offensive team but i think the other end will kind of be where they make or break the series where the Raptors have to find enough offense to kind of hang with the Warriors. Yeah, very good point. And if I could give you any reassurance, because I don't think I told you this before the little bit we talked before we got on air, but I myself am part Canadian. For those of you that don't know in the podcast, my, uh, my mother's, my mother's side of the family is from Canada. My mother moved from Canada to michigan when she was three years old so i am partly i am partly canadian and i am embracing that part part of canada (laughs) so the optimism i can give you is that danny green was killer in the finals for san antonio so last time danny green was in a final things worked out pretty well for him (laughs) of course yeah that's something that's something to look forward yeah i was i was kind of joking about it like there are 82 game players like you know what draymond said the kind of events been repeating lately like there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players well danny green is uh is just a finals player so hopefully he gets a stroke back for that series yeah, hope, hopefully, man. Thank you, Leo, for coming on the podcast. Once again, that's Leo from Death Pen and Raptors Rapture. Uh, again, your piece, Toronto Raptors, and the benefit of carrying, brought out the Canadian pride that's still within <laughs> me. So it was a it was a great read. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to plug? Um, 
Not really. I'm just I've been covering the Raptors all playoffs pretty much. So you can find my work like where you said Duff Penn and Raptors Rapture. And yeah, I just wrote kind of about um about what game six and the Raptors finals run meant to me as a fan and um and kind of to the city as as kind of a tortured fan base that finally got something um such a great like moment for us. And um and yeah, I'll probably have something else up before the final start on Thursday. So uh, yeah, it's an exciting time for, to be a Raptors fan. Yeah, what a time to be alive, as your boy would say, as your boy Drake <laughs> would say. Yeah. Um, all right, thank you for that, Lior. Now we're going to jump to the Golden State Warriors side of the podcast, where I have a special writer joining me to break down everything Golden State. Hey everyone, so unfortunately due to a scheduling emergency, the writer that was going to be on the Golden State side of the podcast cannot make this, so I am doing this part of the podcast solo because I figured I wanted to get this out to you before the NBA Finals started, and I also didn't want to just put out a Raptor side and not cover a Warrior side, so I kind of scrambled and looked for guests and I couldn't find anyone, so ultimately I, I decided to just do the Golden State side of the podcast myself. So on this side, I'll be focusing on everything from a Golden State perspective, what they have to do to win, and then of course I'll end it with my final prediction and where I see this this series going. So without further ado, I'm going to toss it to the other side of the podcast. Enjoy. All right, everyone, let's jump into the Golden State side of this podcast. Now, once again, this is all going to be from the Warriors' perspective, like the last side was from the Toronto Raptors' perspective. And we're just going to kind of dive deep in this series. Everything, the stuff the stuff that we talked about on the last portion of the podcast with rotations, matchup, tactical advantages, all that stuff we're going to dive to. But now we're diving into it through the, the Warriors prism. So the first place we'll start is we'll start with the rotation. Um, Toronto, we know where they're going to go, what their eight is going to be. They're going to have a clear eight-man rotation, which is going to be their five starters, of course. And then the three players off the bench that will play in this series are Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, and Ibaka, unless things go crazy. But that's going to be the eight that they will consistently play and that they'll trust the most in this series. Now, Golden State actually has some options. They can do things a little bit different. Uh, with a guy like Marcus Gasol on the Toronto Raptors, the Golden State Warriors can actually do some interesting things where they can... Um, they could play Bogut a little bit more. Uh, this is not a series where Bogut's going to get played off the floor until until Toronto goes um, super small, unless they continuously attack him in the pick and rolls and he just can't hang. But having a guy like Marcus Gasol out there, Bogut's going to be a nice kind of counter to Marcus Gasol, I think. So um, that's a that's a nice thing that the Warriors have. Um, this will be the first time really in the playoffs that the Warriors have had. Bogut as kind of an ace in their ace in their hole type uh, type situation. Um, and by the way, now Demarcus Cousins obviously could see minutes in the rotation as well. We know Steve Kerr likes to play quite a bit of guys, so it would not surprise me if this rotation goes. I expect it to go nine, but uh, it could go as deep as ten in in some games, or some games even eleven. We'll get um, somebody on the bench will get like three three minutes. Um, but let's talk about the matchup. So one of the most interesting things with Golden State is DeMarcus Cousins, who's now been activated for game one. There's no set, uh, there's no information out there as of right now, as of this recording of when or how much Bookie will play, if there's any type of limits on him, all of that, if he's going to start, come off the bench, whatever. We just know that he's active for game one at this moment. So the interesting thing is, what do you do with DeMarcus Cousins? Clearly a talented player, but also had some struggles. He's had some great moments for the Warriors this season, but he's also had some struggles, especially defensively. And so I think what I would do with, with DeMarcus Cousins, who's never been on the stage, I would play him with the bench unit, and I would say, look, what we're going to do is we're going to play you in these small, or not these small lineups, these, these bench lineups where we take Curry and Draymond out and you are just a focal point in the offense and you're just going to give us, you know, those eight minutes or six minutes of just hard fought 
every every play down this down the uh down the floor is run through you in the post do your thing just eat you know and I think that's the best way to just kind of like unleash him in short short bursts I think that's the best thing for Boogie it gets him it gets him enough touches to to where he feels involved and also it um it's it's not too strenuous on his body considering uh, he is just coming back from two rough injuries now. First the first the Achilles and now the quad. Those are two tough injuries to come back from. And to have them on top of each other is a really, really tough thing to come back from. So that would be my choice for how to handle the boogie situation because it is a very tough situation with the all-star player coming back from two tough injuries on top of each other. But... Again, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Maybe if he has success with that bench run, you can get him more minutes and work him into starting lineup. Or if things just go absolutely haywire and you got to start trying new things, then you got to break out Boogie and maybe play him more extensive minutes and see what he can give you on a consistent minute basis. Um, the next matchup that's interesting is Draymond will play Pascal. I think that's very important because that allows Draymond to free safety because Pascal is going to get the Draymond Green treatment from downtown. He can shoot, but they're going to go they're going to use him as somebody who just if if that's if that's a person who beats you by threes, then so be it. Um, and this will also help because Igadala will obviously be guarding Kawhi for extensive periods of time in this series. And Draymond being allowed to free safety will really help. Uh, I I imagine that's where that's where quite a bit of the of the doubles are going to come from in this series, at least to start. Um, if Danny Green doesn't break his slump, then I think the Warriors will start to send Clay. And then if Marcus Sol is not being aggressive with his shot, they could send you know they could send Bogut. They could send a lot of different options when it comes to uh, when it comes to doubling Kawhi in this series, uh, which obviously will be something that happens throughout this series. Kawhi will have at least at least two people pretty much on him every play. The next matchup that's very interesting, and the last one that's really interesting, especially when it comes to starters, is you stick Curry on, on green because of how physical Lowry is. That would be my preference if I'm the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Green has been in a shooting slump too, and he doesn't do too much off the dribble. So allow it, so Curry d- would just have to kind of chase Green, but uh, but even even Green for somebody who moves off ball and scores off ball, he d- he's not one of those people. Like, and I guess I'm spoiled by what the Warriors do, but with Steph and Clay, it feels like those guys run a lot more than Danny Green does. And I don't actually have any type of advanced analytics to prove that. That's just kind of what my eye test feels like. Is like Draymond Green is not running around extensively like um, like you know JJ Redick or Steph Curry or Clay. At least I feel personally. Um, but that being that being said, I like sticking Curry on on Green and Clay on Lowry. Because Lowry's a physical, uh, a physical tough mentality guard. So sticking somebody like Clay on Lowry, who could be just as physical with him, is going to really, really help. And Clay is just as shifty as Lowry as far as uh, as far as his lateral quickness. So I think he's just Clay's also just straight up the better defender. So sticking him on Lowry is is probably the better option for the Warriors, I would imagine. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if, Dray- if sorry, not Draymond, if Danny Green continues to slump if Steph Curry starts to be somebody who helps off. I'm really, really curious from a from a Golden State perspective because obviously we talked about earlier, like Kawhi's going to get doubled. He's going to get doubled several times. I don't imagine they'll du- they'll double too much with Bogut when Bogut's in, just because Bogut's not somebody who can move actively. Um, so I imagine when I said earlier when I said Bogut, I kind of meant more so whoever the center is when Draymond's not center. I imagine a K- uh, a Kevon Looney double teaming more than I imagine a Bogut. But um, as far as as far as like if if Danny Green is still shooting as poorly as he shot. And he has shot very, very poorly in this playoffs. If he continues to shoot that poor, I'm I'm curious to see if Curry is going to start gambling because Curry is 
he's look he's he's the weakest defender on a great defensive team so he's still a really good defender I, I mean maybe not really good maybe really good is too too big of a stretch but as far as like one-on-one defense like he tries he's competitive he's not a liability by any shape I'd, I'd call him an above average defender personally um, he does make these great uh, swipes at the ball but sometimes a lot of times they're he'll make the dumb swipes at the ball too, which will get him fouls and get him in foul trouble. And that's something that to look out for in this series because Curry's obviously with Duran out. He's he's the clear number one option, so he cannot get himself into foul trouble. But not to get off on that tangent, Curry defensively has has this way of like playing the passing lanes pretty well and also kind of poking at loose balls. So I could I could see if if Danny Green continues to slump, I'd be really interested to see if the Warriors say, all right, this guy who's an historically great shooter, but also in a historically bad slump, we're just going to abandon him. And somebody quick like Curry could, could send a nice surprise blitz double team that could kind of catch Kawhi off guard. So that's something to keep in the back pocket. I'm really interested to see what they'll do with that. But I imagine most times the the double will come from somebody like Draymond who can play kind of free safety because of Pascal, uh, Pascal's inconsistent shooting. Now let's jump to the tactical side of this, the side that's going to be, that's going to really dictate how this series will go. And this is one of the biggest things. Uh, it's a simple thing, but it's one of the biggest things to me, and that's rebounding. Rebounding is going to be a big difference in this series. Golden State has done a solid job on both sides of the floor well, Toronto's, Toronto's done a good job protecting against offensive rebounds. They're a top five defensive rebounding team in the playoffs, so they've done pretty well. But Golden State, the last two series, especially in the Houston series, they killed the glass, and that's just something you can't do. Against a historically great team, a historically great offense, maybe the greatest offense ever, you just cannot give this team more three-pointers. You cannot... Or, Sorry, just more possessions, which will essentially lead to more threes. So you get the idea. But you can't give this team more possessions, man. They're just too good. So that's going to be a problem. And Toronto has struggled with rebounding. Now, they did pretty well in the series against Milwaukee. I wouldn't say they did fantastic, but they did pretty well. And they had stretches. Again, they don't get offensive rebounds. That's not really their thing. But defensively, they've been consistently solid throughout the playoffs. And if they can just, if they could just even, even just take away the extra possessions that Golden State will get, you know, because Golden State will have in this series, they'll have that one game where they turn the ball over like crazy. Because Golden State, that has been their only flaw in their entire run is their ability to turn over and well and their rebounding. But the biggest thing has always been their turnover ability or their their proneness to turnovers. So I don't even know if I use that right, but you get what I'm saying. They have a high they have a high turnover rate, and that's been uh, the biggest problem with them. So, anyways, uh, with that being said, these these turnovers are very very costly, and one of the ways they try to make up for them is these offensive rebounds. And if you're protecting the offensive rebounds and they have a game where they're turning over, all of a sudden that, that's a game that I would strongly take. If Toronto has a big advantage in turnovers and rebounding, I would strongly take uh, assume that Toronto is going to win that game just because you're, not, you're, you're all of a sudden giving a great offensive team, so don't get me wrong, they could still win that game, but you're giving them less possessions and they're shooting maybe 10 less shots or 12 less shots than the Raptors. And if you give the Raptors 12 more possessions in a game, um, that that's enough, definitely enough to swing a uh, to swing in, in favor of the Raptors. So that's something to, to keep an eye on. But again, the interesting thing is Toronto's not a team that's going to punish uh, punish the Warriors. Now, the Warriors, like I said, have done a solid job rebounding, but they but they've seen in the playoffs the only time they've lost is to Cleveland and Cleveland absolutely dominated and abused them and sold out on the offensive glass and so as of right now in this five-year warrior run the only way they've been beaten is by being punished on the glass and OKC OKC was punishing them on the glass and I could see the same thing happening 
in this series um, if if Toronto wants to win. They have to, have to, have to get offensive rebounds. That is a must. You gotta you gotta extend your possessions and limit theirs because they are so efficient at scoring that you just can't give them. If Golden State and Toronto have the same amount of shots, I'm most likely taking without seeing the final score. I'm most likely taking it to the bank that Golden State is winning that game just because of how great they are offensively. So you have to create more more possessions in this game, and Toronto has to do that by doing things like uh, getting offensive rebounds or creating turnovers or limiting Golden State's offensive rebounds. So that's a big key. And the last big key I want to see in this series, the last thing that I think is extremely, extremely important, is Marcus and just the factor he plays. Now, I talked a lot about this on the previous side of the podcast, Marcus Gasol's um, just impact for Toronto, necessity for Toronto to win. But for Golden State to win, I think if they can play Gasol off the floor, man, it's it's going to be very, very difficult. Because I think Toronto, and this is why I have Golden State Warriors in six, is because Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, and Kawhi Leonard have to play great every game in order for them to win. If one of those three guys is not playing great in a in a game, any particular game, then all of a sudden that game is heavily in favor of the Warriors. So the Warriors are definitely, definitely, uh, of course you've heard this a million times, they have the, the strong margin of error, right? They have the greatest margin of error ever. So it's very, very tough to, it's very tough to beat them because you have to have the smallest, smallest margin of error and if if you have anything bigger than that Golden State is going to blow it wide open and you're going to lose by 15 somehow some way so I want the Warriors if I'm the Warriors I want to attack Gasol I want to attack him early in the series make him uncomfortable in game one from I want him in halftime of game one I want Marcus Gasol to be sitting in his locker room thinking Oh man, this is going to be a long series because you know what? In the last in the in the last round, um, or sorry, two rounds ago, Philly did that. Philly, in there were stretches where Marcus Sol looked like, oh my God, you you can't play this guy, and then and, and then of course he he got a shot and he kind of stepped it up and obviously we know how that story goes. Toronto's now here in the finals, but with that being said, Marcus Sol is somebody who like anybody else is susceptible to com- uh, to confidence issues especially when you haven't been in this scenario so if you're on this stage and if game one they do a lot of pick and rolls and they just get switches onto Gasol and Curry eats him alive and has like 35 in a game one and Golden State wins by like by like double digits like 12 let's say all of a sudden Gasol is going to be sitting there like damn this is not this is going to be tough. And if you could just rattle him enough, if you could rattle him enough, you take out you take out Gasol out of this series and all of a sudden not only do Kyle Lowry and Kawhi have to be spectacular, but you also have to have a bunch of um you also have a, have to have a bunch of contributions from Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, all that stuff. Serge Ibaka's got to play extensive minutes, all all of that. So you just you really, really, really make you really make uh, life difficult for Toronto if you if you take us all out of this series. So that's the biggest, biggest key from the Warriors' perspective. So again, if the Warriors want to win, Golden State has to control the glass. They have to they have to get extra possessions um, just to make up for their turnovers. And the other, the flip side of that is maybe they don't if they if they don't turn the ball over, then they don't have to rebound as well. But um, Toronto's going to be a tough matchup. I really think Toronto's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, Kawhi is just an absolute animal right now. He's having an all-time great postseason. Something just honestly so spectacular that we we really we really don't ever see outside of a few years from a few players and a few great moments. So this has been an incredible series, and this is going to be. One of the toughest players Golden State has faced in their entire five-year run. Um, obviously, with LeBron, Le- with LeBron and ironically Kevin Durant up there, um, 
Kawhi is right up there in that all-time great echelon, something that you have to really, really watch out for in this playoffs. So I imagine Golden State's going to be doing a lot of double team. That being said, I picked I picked Milwaukee to win in five in last round. So clearly I was not only wrong, but I was super wrong with that series. But I'm I'm picking I'm picking Golden State for the same reason I'm I picked against Toronto in the last round. I just I don't trust this bench. Fred Van Fleet is shooting out of his mind right now. He is playing unbelievably well. Serge Ibaka comes and goes, and in this series, Marcus Soule comes and goes, and um, Kyle Lowry comes and goes. Kyle Lowry's been probably the most consistent, actually, so I won't say that about him. But Danny Green has not even come. He's just gone. He's just he's just gone. He's He's off on an island somewhere doing Lord knows what because his head is just not in these games right now. As far as as far as his shots, he's just not hitting anything. So that is the reason I will pick Golden State is because you have to have everything on point consistently all the time in order to beat Golden State, and I just don't see them doing that. So that being said, I have Golden State in six. Once again, everyone, I apologize for my guests not being able to make it. Uh, it was a last-minute scheduling uh, emergency came up, and it made it too difficult. And I wanted to make sure this podcast got to you before before Game 1 of the finals, so that's why I kind of just decided to do this part myself anyways. So I'm sorry if you, if you were looking forward to having somebody else to banter with on Golden State side. I myself was also looking forward to it. You know how I do on the Strictly Hip Hop and Strictly Hoop Talk podcast. I like to give other voices. I don't like to just give myself. So doing a solo side on this podcast felt a little different, felt a little unique. Something I did at Sports Radio Detroit. Shout out Sports Radio Detroit for that. I did that a couple times throughout the throughout the year last year or this year. And it's been fantastic. But bringing it to, to the Strictly Hip Hop and Strictly Hoop Talk realm of podcasting was something different. So I hope you all enjoyed it. Once again, follow me on all of the social medias at Real Chris Platty. That's C H R I S P L A T T E. And if you don't know how to spell real, don't follow. Once again, I do want to thank my guest on the Toronto Raptors side, Lior Kozai. He he was absolutely awesome, and the content he gave was phenomenal. I really really enjoyed that conversation. Um, check out his work at at Def Pennant Raptors Rapture, and this is going to be a great series, everyone. So. Stay tuned. I'm going to be coming back probably after game two, I would say. So again, Apple, Spotify, wherever you consume your podcast, you can find this Strictly Hip Hop and Strictly Hoop Talk. I'm Chris Platty. Have a great night, everybody, and enjoy the NBA Finals. They are finally here.